Breathing a deep sigh of relief, welcome to Hand of Pot. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 268 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined on this momentous and joyous and above all relieving day for Argentine football by Peter Coates. Hello, pleasure to be back. Welcome back, Peter. Nice to have you. And Andres Bruckner. Hello, Sam. Congratulations, Andres. Thank you. I, For a moment, I thought I, I should uh, tattoo Messi in some part of my body but finally I I said no it's too much but you know for a moment I, I thought about it about oh, give it nine months or so and, and we'll see see how he does in Russia uh, the main thing is of course that Argentina are going to be in Russia along with Lionel Messi um, that came in really not any thanks at all to the uh, point gained well actually it, it sort of came a bit because of that I suppose because otherwise Peru would have finished above them um, in the draw against Peru last Thursday night in La Bombonera uh, the nil-nil draw and quite a lot more down to Lionel Messi's hat-trick on Tuesday night if you are just hearing about this for the first time then I'm not sure where you've been for most of the last 24 hours but Messi scored a hat-trick after after Argentina conceded the fastest goal they've ever conceded in any match in their history apparently um, to go 1-0 down, it wasn't the ideal start and um, we're going to be talking about both of those in the next hour or so and, and consider that goal by a player whose surname or first name is Aymar isn't it? Ibarra, Romario but, is, ah, Romario, but name. there is Aymara, another player, Aymar, I thought it's he, either that or it's one of his other surnames because okay. all of the Ecuadorians have two surnames and the Connebol minute by minute website was listing both of them so for bits of it I wasn't quite sure which one to use when I was tweeting I was like which name does this guy go by um, but yeah Romario Ibarra um, scored after I, basically I think that nobody had told Javier Mascherano that the game had started um, he just sort of stood there and watched his man and, and he lifted his hand because he thought that the, the Equatorian the player from Ecuador that uh, assisted the one who scored the uh, uh, touched the ball with his hand and it wasn't mm. it was either so, that or he thought that the referee hadn't blown the whistle to start the game yet and that Ecuador were breaking the rules um, either one I think would be equally probable that no obviously uh, the reason that Andres gives is, is actually the correct one um, that took 42 or 43 seconds or something for Ecuador to score and it was as I say not the ideal start how, how did we all feel when that one went in <laughs> Well, I was shocked. For a second, it was sort of. It was a moment of. Oh, hang on, no, something's happened because I was so static that I thought oh, they must. There must be a whistle or something. Mm. Um, I think the commentary team as well was similar. There was a moment of kind of. Uh, was that? No, we are actually one nil down. Yeah. 
Um, and I think myself, like a lot of people, have, given how badly the qualification's been and how Argentina struggled for goals, did think the worst when that happened. Mm. I mean, you know, you thought if if if, if Argentina were going to get the the win, which they don't ordinarily get in Quito, he suspected that if anyone needed to get the early goal, it was going to be Argentina, the early goal which has been lacking in so so many games of, of late. Um, you know, thankfully Messi was around to to rectify that. Indeed, uh, Argentina did score an early goal of, of their own. It wasn't quite as early, but the lead that Ecuador had didn't last for very long, and that was in large part thanks to Messi, who took the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, and one of the things that we've been saying throughout the qualifying campaign, and particularly this year, it's worth remembering that that first Messi goal was the first goal in open play that Argentina have scored for themselves this year in World Cup qualifying. Um, there were five whole matches without one prior to it. Messi's goal against Chile, of course, came from a penalty, and the equaliser against Venezuela was, although it was celebrated by Mauro Riccardi, it was actually scored by Rolf Felcher, the unfortunately named um, Venezuelan defender. I suggest if you don't know what um, Felcher means, then don't, don't Google it. <laughs> well, don't Google it on a work or school computer, is, is all I'll say. Um, and and possibly not with your significant other and certainly not with any children around because you don't want to see what the Google image results are going to look like. Um, but anyway, yeah, so th- those were the only goals that Argentina had managed previous to that during 2017 in the World Cup. Um, and surprise, surprise, the first thing that happens, um, the first time pretty much all year that somebody actually plays a 1-2 with Messi, Messi scores. It's funny what happens when you've got players who are willing to connect with him. Um, and so I think that Angel Di Maria, even though we have criticised him many times for playing like a headless chicken um, for Argentina and, and for not really being aware of where his teammates are, deserves some credit. Even if he played the rest of the match awfully, which it wasn't brilliant, but he wasn't awful either. But even if he had played the rest of the match awfully, that was the breakthrough. And that was what Argentina needed. Yet he passed the ball. That's something to mark, to say. And even when they passed, I think even the assist uh, to Messi for the equaliser wasn't perfect, wasn't, uh, but I think it was more from Messi to get that ball than from Di Maria to to uh, have that uh, pass uh, in, in terms of accuracy. But uh, passing the ball from Di Maria is something, it's a news for me, because uh, something news, because uh, uh, he usually, of course, runs and, and with the ball in his, uh, in his feet and, and he doesn't pass it very often. It also reminded me of the, a, a similar moment at the Bombonera on Thursday when Messi fed in um, Alejandro Gomez and Gomez steamed in and, and you know looked certain to score and then hit it straight to the goalkeeper. But that was in precisely, it was in a very similar move and precisely the sort of move where at Barcelona, um, if that is uh, the left back, whose name I've forgotten. Albert. Thank you. Yes. Um, or one of the other forwards steaming into that pass into exactly the same area for Messi, the default option is cut it back into the space that Messi is therefore running into for Messi to tuck home. And that's precisely what happened against Ecuador because Di Maria saw the return pass um, that Gomez hadn't. And I think that's really sort of what we talk about when we talk about the players needing to just connect a little bit better with Messi, right? Because we've qualified, Argentina have qualified and England have qualified, so I can say we have qualified um, all together and we'll have a big party together in, in Russia 
and um, we just have to, Petra and I will be hoping that we don't get drawn in the same group as Argentina because we'll get destroyed. Um, but now that Argentina have qualified, they do need to, you know, take a look at things and, and there are certain things that need to be worked out better and, and they need to kick on if they're going to actually um, uh, challenge for the trophy. I don't think that anybody is denying this. Yes, what, what Sampaoli has been saying is that something he, he still couldn't uh, get is to have the best possible conditions for Messi to play in terms of the teammates and the ways he could connect with those players. Like, for example, which is for me the first wise move from Sampoli since he's the coach of Argentine national team, to, for example, put Enzo Perez as he is a, like a mixed mixed uh, midfielder. He can perhaps help in defense or as in defensive uh, functions, but also, uh, I don't say creative, but uh, to it's a good passer uh, at the same time. Uh, I think that yesterday or uh, last night it was a, a perhaps a little show of, of, of that possible uh, associative uh, play that Messi could, ha- could get. And Sampoli said, said that, that he wants Messi to be as comfortable as possible, which is obvious, to give uh, the best player the best con- possible condition to play. Mm. There's one I'm definitely correct about, the mid- about Enzo Perez's role. I think um, those type of multi-purpose midfield players um, that can go, that can protect the back three or back four, but also get forward and join the attack, yeah, is really what has been lacking for for quite a long time in Argentina's midfield. And you know, obviously, bemoaned Bowser and mainly Bowser's choices, but you ended up with that system, which ended up with just very defensive number fives and then forwards, and nothing really in between that. And I think Perez is is a good. Um, Box to box, yeah, exactly. Fielder, which, it were, which yeah. is really what's been lacking. I apologise to listeners for that uh, bang, followed by a very quiet owl from me a minute ago. That's because I just managed to knock my knee whilst um, on the table, uh, on which the microphone is is resting. But Peter, I wanted to to ask you because you were at the Bombonera for Thursday's game. Um, inevitably, we're going to be talking probably more about the performance against Ecuador because it was more fluid. It was closer to what you assume Argentina will want to continue to play like. Um, and because it was the one that sealed qualification and ultimately we're talking about Argentina having qualified but along similar lines to what you've just been saying about Perez what did you make of being in the stadium and seeing it in the flesh of, of how um, Ebe Banega was playing in that match because I, I got the impression he'd obviously been told to do something similar and yet for whatever reason he was sort of he seemed to be struggling to get it into his head that right I need, I need to burst forward now yeah absolutely yeah I thought Banega had one of his worst games <laughs> in an Argentina shirt and, and uh, for someone who I think when Sampaoli came in um, was supposed to be kind of one of his go-tos I mean uh, you know he's always said that Messi was the only one absolutely guaranteed but you kind of got the impression with Sampaoli initially that Benega was probably the person below that you know he said that he was like his perfect sort of deep lying um, midfielder but yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't really think he, he seemed to grasp exactly what he was being asked of because obviously he's alongside uh, Biglia, no, on, yeah. and um, it was just kind of like the two of them sitting there deep, and then, as you say, he wasn't pushing forward to to link up the play. When he did try anything, he invariably lost the ball, and they ended up with the same problem we've been seeing over the last year, eighteen months, where it was Messi the one dropping deep, 
um, far too deep, almost into that number five role to pick the ball up. And you know that that's the problem really when Argentina were playing badly is that, or in La Bombonera with the amount of chances missed, you end up with Messi in the position of you want him to be both creator and yeah. goal scorer. And, and it's a really confusing one from Banega's point of view because it's not the first match in which he sort of struggled to to get forward more. And yet he had, if I remember rightly, during his last season at Sevilla, and then from what I heard, because I don't uh, catch as much of Serie A, um, during his first at Inter, that is the right way around those clubs, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, well, back at he, Sevilla, he was no? right. Yes, that was why I was getting confused. But he went from Sevilla to Inter. Inter back Sevilla, in, yeah. right. So during his last season of the former spell at, at, at Sevilla and then at Inter as well he was playing slightly further forward he was almost playing as a number 10 in fact yeah. when he was at Sevilla um, obviously you're not going to put him as, as number 10 for Argentina because Argentina's number 10 is, is Lionel Messi um, but I wonder whether like, why he found it so difficult to to, to sort of break out of that mould in, in central midfield that, that he'd been presumably told to break out of by San Paolo because as I say there were moments where you sort of saw him make a forward run from time to time he just wasn't doing anything like often enough yeah no I agree I don't know whether it's just he doesn't possess that kind of power or, you know that the engine that you you need from that sort of box to box which you know Enzo Perez is arguably uh, not as technically gifted a footballer as, as Benega but he does have that engine um, and if you put him alongside someone who is going to be more um, defensive and then in front of him put Messi and Di Maria and others to run off him, then he's able to perform that function where, you know, his passing last night was efficient rather than spectacular, but he understood the role and therefore was able just to protect the back four, bomb on, link up play and invariably just play a very short, simple pass into Messi, but crucially in positions where Messi should be receiving the ball. Yes. Well, yeah. What I heard, uh, uh, I was watching the match against Peru, <clears throat> and the, one of the commentators, or the ones who covers the, 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 the sides, uh, the Argentina side in that, at that moment, said that Sampaoli told Banega that if Messi doesn't appear, he has to, to be the one who tries to get the team to put, how we say here, ponerse el equipo al hombro, to bring the team yeah, to the... to carry the team on their shoulders. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether they meant uh, because of the, the, the play itself or the personality to mean the, to, the, the, to be the... to use his head and try to to bring the team uh, in, in their shoulders, as you, as you said. But um, with the, the test tonight that was successful with Enzo Perez and Villa, who I don't particularly like, and I think that last night didn't have a very good game. Uh, anyway, I think that it, it was a good test in order in advance to see whether uh, they can try to to build a, a new midfield. I would uh, like to see more, for example, Paredes, which I think is similar to Vanega, but a fresh, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, new face. And uh, uh, yes, I don't think whether Vanega. Uh, was told to appear if Messi doesn't because of the play or because of the personality. Yeah. The, the another interesting and, and encouraging piece of news for Argentina with um, one eye on next month's friendlies, of which there are very likely to be two. One has been confirmed because they already had it lined up on the assumption that they would play it 
as long as they were qualified and not having to worry about the playoff. Um, so on the 11th of November, Argentina will be visiting Russia, the hosts of the World Cup, for the re-inauguration of the new Luzhniki Stadium, which has been expanded to 81,000 um, places. And then they'll probably be playing another European side a few days after that, but we don't know which one. Spain have been mentioned, apparently, possibly Italy, but um, nothing tied up just yet. And with, with one eye on those friendlies and the obvious um, opportunity they give Sam Pauli to look at perhaps some players who he might have liked to call up but not able to, I did see that Peter retweeted some promising news earlier on, so I'll let you say this one. About someone who's come back into training for his club. Ah, yeah, Eric Lamella is back in training. Yeah, I mean, I think that will probably come too soon. I'd, I'd imagine having mm-hmm. the length of time he's been out. But yeah, I mean, I think as I said, for any all of us who, who sort of saw Lamella coming through and sort of know how promising he is, um, and how you know the injuries have really taken their toll on him. Personally, given Argentina's sort of lack of a player who can do what he does. Um, if, if he's able to, to to get out on the pitch and perform for Tottenham even off the bench um, before that friendly takes place then, then if I were Sam Pauli I would call him up just because of the fact that there are only well one double header coming up in November and then another in March and then you've got to name the World Cup squad yeah yeah um, so I'd at least want to see how he reacts with the others in the squad oh, bloody hell I've done it again sorry um, I'd at least want to see how he reacts with the others in the squad and on the training pitch and, and yeah. so on. Um, it, I mean, it's difficult now for... Well, the difficult part was obviously last night, but, you know, now what San Paoli now has the difficult task, you know, we're sitting here saying about reshaping a midfield, which does need to be done. Mm. And there's obviously a question we'll probably come on to with the number nine. Um the formation there's a, there's a huge amount of work for Sam Pauli now you know first first uh, task get the result last night result was all that mattered didn't matter about systems or ideas or anything but now in a relatively short amount of time given you know you're saying there's not that many friendlies he does now have to actually get together a group and, a, and they have to take on board his ideas which so far haven't been done um, and get them ready for the World Cup and you know He's caught between bringing in a huge number of new faces and potentially going to Russia with a real sort of mess of a team. Um, Or keeping faith with largely what he's been using so far. So it'll be interesting. As I say, I I think if Fit Lamela and also Lancini, who's the other name that uh, Dan and I mentioned, I think last week, and if not, then we might have mentioned it, Andres, two weeks ago. Well, I think Lancini would have been, were it not for the just before the injury, was it the last double header he got injured? He was in the squad and then had to withdraw. Oh, that's right, he was. And then he just came back. He missed out on this one because he'd just come back for West Ham like the week before Mm. they named it. So I think he was in the plans, but um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing, of course, mentioning those two names is that it, they're players who we would assume that Sam Pauli is, is well familiar with the style of because Sam Pauli is, is known to be a River fan. Um, so one would assume that when he's not working and coaching whoever he's been coaching in, in various times over the last decade or so abroad, uh, that he's been sort of keeping up with their 
matches and, and therefore is aware of those players' development, at least here in Argentina, if not over in yeah. Europe as well. No, and I think that they're both two examples but, of they fit system, they fit a role in the team that are, that is lacking in terms of, exactly, like yeah. you're saying, Lamella can play wide and, and give an option, an alternative to someone like Di Maria mm. when there hasn't been a great deal of competition for him, which is why he plays so often. Yeah. Um, and Lancini, like you were saying, Andres is one of those defenders <laughs> like Perez who, who can kind of perform two roles and since yeah. going to West Ham he's become a lot more rounded than he was at River and, just and a bit more willing to get his knees dirty yeah, exactly. similarly to Lamela I mean that's the yeah. thing they, they, as you say they can both play wide they can also both play in the middle they're, they're very yeah. comfortable with that as well so. uh, no uh, Sapoli of course he he also uh, admitted he's a River supporter but he called up more Boca players than River with Pablo Perez who didn't finally finally didn't uh, come to the to the didn't jump to the stadium to the to the match last night. Gago, who uh, unfortunately had uh, another uh, ligaments uh, broken uh, injury, um, and uh, also Benedetto. So three Boca players now two because Gago is not available anymore, unfortunately, and two River with Enzo Perez and Milton Casco who didn't play any minute. No. Fortunately, <laughs> um, everybody was very surprised that, that Milton Casco. To be honest, I think the Sakeri would be more worthy of a call up at full back than Milton Casco. Um, but uh, I suppose he has to become River's first choice left back before he can become Argentina's, allegedly. Um, is he Uruguayan? Is he? Oh, he is, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Well done. Thank you. So, yeah, in fact, he can't be called up. Ignore me. It's a good thing that I'm not managing Argentina in the Jorge Sampaoli is doesn't try to call up foreign players well maybe he did try to call him up and then just hushed it up afterwards because it would have been embarrassing um, but interestingly on the number 9 question uh, which you just touched on there Andres when you mentioned Benedetto and as Peter said we're, we're going to have to mention it at some point I put up a poll on my Twitter uh, four and a bit hours ago asking who should Argentina's central centre forward be their main number 9 um, I gave four options because that's the maximum that Twitter will allow you to put on polls apparently I don't do them very often um, and I put them in alphabetical order it's currently and interestingly I think particularly given some of the complaints that I get in my mentions whenever it comes up in the context of the national team Sergio Aguero is currently leading there are around 20 hours to go 19 hours left of this poll um, Aguero so far has got 42% Icardi's on 32% Gonzalo Higuain's on 17 and Dario Benedetto, who started both of the double-header uh, double games that we've just seen, uh, is only on 9%. That's from 581 votes at the time of recording. I have not been impressed with Icardi from what I've seen of him for Argentina so far. As we said after last month's recordings, he looked bizarrely sort of stationary and didn't touch the ball very much. Benedetto against Peru was very poor. Benedetto... In my opinion, uh, this is this is of course Benedetto against Ecuador for me was um, uh, iffy in front of goal. Uh, I can't remember whether they had any chances in fact to even snatch out. No, Never mind snatching his chances. He didn't get into any positions, but his movement was decent. Um, his link-up play, such as it was when he got the ball, which he didn't do very often, was decent. And I was impressed by his uh, the sort of off-the-ball run that he made when Messi completed his hat trick. Part of that was down to the fact that Benedetto saw where Messi was going, pulling off towards to sort of his left, and so Benedetto went right and head past the defender and just sort of dragged a couple of defenders yeah. out of space. Or, at least, or he said, "I won't interrupt Messi." Yeah. yeah. Well, it was either, but but I mean, he 
it was such a quick movement. I think you could sort of the, the players weren't quite sure whether to close down Messi or whether to go with Benedetto, yes. and that just gave Messi that sort of half yard of space that he needed. Um, and of course, if, if you've seen um, how Messi completed this hat trick, he was sort of pushed over in the act of shooting and ended up scooping it over the goalkeeper spectacularly. Um, and you, Benedetto, I think, deserves some praise, but yeah, the, the, the question of who should be the centre forward, I yeah. think, is a valid one. Anyway, Aguero, I think he's been used as a number nine or as a centre or a natural striker mm. at, at Manchester City, but not that. Not it's not a, like that and in the national team when when he used to play because it's a long time since he doesn't. Uh, but he more more he's more as a as a. Second striker, perhaps in in national team, not a a, a main striker, perhaps. But mm. as a, as a question, I, I will say, or I will answer that question, saying that for me will be will be Cardi the the first option, and then Iwain, uh, and then we will see. But uh, I I should include perhaps Icardi and Benedetto in the subs bench. But well, it's yeah, the, the the most important thing is Argentina has qualified, but. Uh, that would have been the best option for me. I asked um, a couple of other people this as well, uh, and interestingly, when I put this poll up, I also said, if you think it's somebody else, then please tweet me your thoughts, and a few people have tweeted that Lucas Alario um, should have a call-up, and interestingly, Fran, who is one of our tamed Boca Juniors fans on the Hand of Prod team, um, also thinks that uh, Alario is probably more deserving of, of the number nine role than, than Benedetto, which... I think partly demonstrates as well that Argentina, um, when we're talking about the national team, it, it doesn't always sort of your opinions on who should be in the team and shouldn't don't always fall just along but, club lines. But um, as, as a thermo, which means as a, 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 a supporter that doesn't think any anything, would, I will say that what well, Alario betrayed River, so she he should <laughs> be called up anymore. I was surprised well, Alario didn't. I mean, there's a question here anyway between who should be getting called up and who should be actually Argentina starting number nine. And I think with this squad, what I thought, thought was strange was that I think Sampali didn't sort of limited his options in a way which I thought was strange considering Argentina needed to score goals because when Neguero got injured, he decided not to bring anyone else over and then said that Icardi was carrying an injury. So in theory, Argentina went into the Peru game with one number nine available with Benedetto. Um, I don't know if he was still if he did, still didn't think Akali was ready to play 90 minutes on yeah. Tuesday but it seemed a bit odd to me just to have the one option as a you know okay you could say I could play Dybala as a sort of false or Messi as a false nine but um, do you know what the, the injury is? The, the he said it was the same one that he had from when they were in Australia which was a sort of thigh strain or something wasn't it but it seems odd because he's played for Inter since then and he's played for Argentina since then as well yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, he played, um, yeah, against uh, Europe. How bizarre. So, yeah, I, I didn't quite understand that, but he did say that when he was explaining his decision to play Benedetto in the La Bombonera, said Icardi's still carrying the injury that he had from but Australia. What I thought is that uh, Benedetto, he used to use Benedetto in, because of the Bombonera effect. Yeah, yeah, I thought that. Uh, was, uh, player plays for Boca there, he knows the stadium, everything, the pitch. And against Peru and against Ecuador, I thought that Icardi would be the option. But uh, as you said, it was decent at least with the movements and even with not not having any any goal option. Uh, I don't think he did enough. But I, I agree with your like he was pretty poor. Uh, Thursday was 
was much better in terms of his involvement last night, but certainly didn't do enough where you thought, well, Argentina have found the answer to the number nine. I think it's still very much up in the air. Um, and I think there's pro- you can ma- you can make arguments for all of those ones that you mentioned. Um, I think they're pro- they are probably the front the four front runners, and I'd be amazed if it's not one of those four um, in Russia. Um, I think the key here that Sampali sticks like from what he's seen so far personally who fits into the system that he wants to go with going forward um, and then gives them time regardless of if they don't score in a game because I think part of Argentina's problems is embarrassment of riches you end up in a situation where if a striker has one bad game everyone says right that's his chance gone let's bring Higuain back in he doesn't score everyone says oh he can't score He's mentally gone. Right, give Benedetto a chance, and we go. We end up like this. We don't end up with a. This, this is a point, in fact, that Jonathan Wilson made in a, an article for yeah. the Guardian a few days ago. Yeah, precisely that point. That uh, anyway, the fact that they have so many attackers to call on means that if one of them doesn't do badly in one game, it, then precisely yeah. Yeah, there's this sort of clamour for them to be replaced by someone else. And I think that's where Sampaoli just needs to say, okay, well, in the system that we're playing, what kind of chances am I looking? What am I looking for the, that number nine to do? Um, and go on that and then give that person a run in the team regardless and I th- I, for me that, that seems to be the way forward mm. but sticking with, with the system I think that of course this was said as a rumor and will never be confirmed and it's not good to uh, inform about rumors but uh, it was said that Sampoli of course what's the system that Sampoli likes most is to play with the three mm. uh, defense main defense uh, and uh, uh, that the players, Messi being the players, wasn't he didn't comply with that, and and he ha- had to change to a four-man defense because of that. That uh, he was a classical formation and not a, a, a so a so offensive one. Uh, yesterday it was with uh, Acuna as a left back, but he was more a, a, yeah. r- a right a left midfielder than a back. That's uh, the thing. I, I felt as though on the TV they put it as a four-four-two, but. Yes. In reality, it was ba- it was still the same three man, three, yeah. and then Acuna, Acuna covered the the left as Salvio was supposed yeah. to do to some extent on the right, and um, I, mean, I, I think it's I obvious think that's what he favours. that I mean, yeah, sure, he, he can set it up like that, but also that you say the players don't agree with the system, but I think in a way that the player the system doesn't agree with the players either. I mean, mm. the three at the back, none of them are the quickest players in the world. Mascherano has a good engine and, and is very mobile and that sort of helps him to make up and he reads the game very well still um, which helps him to make up I think for that lack of pace but when um, Federico Fascio played was that last month or was that on Thursday last it seems month. such a long time ago now he played, um, again, he played in Montevideo thank you yes against Uruguay and I mean the lack of pace there was really right which is and then Mascherano came in for the second game because Mercado was suspended wasn't he um, and the lack of pace in, in that back three line was Terrifying when when you're up against uh, Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, um, it was really exposed. And so I sort of think he's a pragmatic coach, Sam Pauli. It, it sometimes gets overlooked because of the fact that so many of his teams play very very attacking football. Um, but he wants Argentina to, one would assume, to play similarly to how his Universidad de Chile and, and Chile and Sevilla sides played, quite high pressing. And with the lack of pace in the back line at the moment, that is going to be a difficult game to play. It, it was okay yesterday because 
yesterday wasn't really a case of him trying to impose his system. Yesterday was in, in, in terms of combating the altitude. I think what they tried to do was just say, right, defenders defend, attackers attack, so that nobody's having to run around yes, too not, much. Not so dyna- dynamic because of the attitude. Exactly, yeah. Well, what, what, what sort of gets referred to as a broken team, basically. Mm. You, you just have a break in the middle so that no one's overlapping very much. Um, and you rely on the players to, to work well there. It also helped that Ecuador were coming forward and, and attacking and giving Argentina the, the space to go into when they uh, made their own way forward. But if they're going to press high, then they is there anybody who can come into the defence and add a little bit of, of pace if they need to turn around and run back towards their own Well, we will have to wait for a minute for Smart, perhaps when he recovers from his injury and see whether he can uh, add some... Well, he's not... He's, I think he's faster than perhaps Macharano, of course. Mm. Banana. No, no, Banana. He improved a bit uh, against Defensa uh, Justicia the other day against for the Copa Argentina, but he hasn't been. No, no, Mamana. Um, ah, Maidana, ma, I thought I understood Maidana. Uh-huh. Yes, It's that's another option, maybe. perhaps. Uh, mm. Petzela. Again, I mean, none of these guys are what you described as really quick, Yeah, that's the yes. thing. Um, I think the other problem as well is with the, with the three is 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 why because we've seen him experimenting these these games with whoever plays and he's he's had Di Maria yesterday Acuna Salvio Regoni against Peru it was Acuna's last perhaps defender and mm. he had to make some fouls to yeah. Paolo Guerrero and it's that's some that talks about something that is not very coordinated and not very fluent yeah and I thought yesterday. For me, Salvio and Acuna were probably the two players that probably the two worst players on the pitch. Right? I didn't really notice what they. Salvio, I completely forgot was playing. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, I think it took away what he's good at. Mm. He seemed like it hindered his attacking performance, but he didn't really have the know-how or the, or the, even the capability to be able yeah. to help out defensively. And I think they're the positions which Argentina, when you look at the options there as well, you think, well, who are, who are, really are the natural wing backs in a three man defence yeah. to play that either you go really attacking and you put your trust in people who are basically forwards or wingers and say right I want you to do a job which in, in which case like Salvio might just completely take away any of the threat he has going forward or you play another defender there and say oh but I want you to bomb on or, you know like you could put Marcos Rojo there and say can you play as a wing back but it's like well in effect are you then just playing five centre backs yeah So, you know, I think um, San Paoli seemed keen on Fabrizio Bustos from Independiente, who would be a sort of natural wing-back on, on the right, but obviously he's very unproven. Um, yes. And on the left, there isn't really a natural wing-back as such. Perhaps Tagliafico is another one. But but, yeah, but again, even he, you'd say, he's more of a defender's defender rather than one of those. He, I mean, he gets forward well in... Yes, I think with, with somebody that's impossible to to get a defense with the defenders being st- stick to the defense, mm. uh, as as he naturally wants the team to go forward and, and forward as as forward as possible. Of course, last night, as as he has been saying, as Sam has been saying, because of the attitude, it was impossible to ask the players to be so dynamic in order to go forward and push forward. Uh, as The, the key was Messi and perhaps some other movements by Benedetto and, and Enzo Perez. And, uh, but uh, yes, I think that it's difficult to get defenders 
at least with Zapoli to be there in the defense and not move from there. So, of the squad that we've just seen, how many are untouchable? I don't, well, I mean, I think of one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely untouchable. There is one. But I, I would uh, stick my neck out and say two because I think that Romero is fairly nailed on in gold as well. Yeah, I mean, he, what I'm perhaps meaning is that Romero, in the eyes of I think the national team, he yeah. is nailed on. I think if you go and poll Argentinian forwards, perhaps he would be someone who some people would still be like, mm, is he? A national team number one. I mean, that's another debate. We could be here forever doing that. But um, no, uh, Messi's the absolute. Yeah, yes or yeah. We don't need to even discuss it. Romero, Otamendi, Mascherano, Mercado, uh, Biglia, uh, Di Maria, uh, Benega will still be there. I'm sure. So interested. Having just discuss the defence you've just named three of the starting defenders no because of the fact that I think that's Sam Pauli seems to like all three of them quite a lot and I think for that reason I'd be amazed because well we were just discussing who who else comes in Mm. is he going to drop we're talking about the World Cup squad I know some way off someone there could be injuries or whatever I mean I I wonder whether Mascherano is really undroppable anymore I don't. You know, I mean, there was a, a long while when when I was saying he needs to play in cent- at centre back. Yeah, yeah. If he's still going to play, he needs to be to be moved back from midfield. And now that he has been, all of those people I mentioned are droppable mm. without question. But I think equally, I'd be astonished, barring injuries or something miraculous at club level, they'll all be in the squad in Russia. Yeah, just because San Paoli seems to like them from what we've seen so far, and there aren't a great deal of options. Andres, for you? I particularly, I think it's not possible because of Sampaoli's way of thinking and the defence type he wants to put to the team, but I will include, for example, Tegrafico as a, as a left, as a natural left back, and Acuna as a right, as a left midfielder, and try to try to uh, uh, play with them, and perhaps Di Maria, well, I know, uh, I don't know whether Sampaoli will give them a surprise uh, the the permanency with the team to mm. players like for example Di Maria Maturano and the historic players because uh, I will try with them with them there is not there is a lot of time but not that uh, that number of of, of of matches as as you have said that uh, there is only one friendly confirmed with Russia uh, so there is no no many serious tests no. or or yeah. trainings to see what the, he can change uh, and and my my fear is that. That uh, to do that, he may do the, what other other coaches do, which is well. I will give the the player these players who are the ones who qualify to, to Russia to be in the team. Like for example, well, Di Maria is, I think, the most important case in this. Probably yesterday or last night he played better, but uh, well, I will try with with Tagliafico and Acuna. Yeah, I mean, Di Maria is a case where I'm. Like a lot of people, not a big fan of his for the national team. But you have to admit, it would be absolutely astonishing if Di Maria wasn't in Russia. Yeah, absolutely amazing. It would be yes. such a big call, even even though, and I say that it's such a big call, even though a huge proportion of Argentina 
watches would say oh, I wouldn't put him in my team and yet it would still be a mate this is a, a point that I made after Friday sorry on, on Friday early hours of Friday morning um, after or possibly actually during the um, Peru game um, so on Thursday night was that you know Argentine fans in particular will and, and many of our listeners and, and many of my Twitter followers who maybe aren't Argentine but are fans of Argentina around the world um, will criticise Higuain and, and continue to remind everybody who sticks up for Higuain ah, but Higuain missed the chances in, in, in those finals but Higuain played in those finals and the reason that Higuain was playing in those finals I think in all three of the competitions uh, of the finals Argentina reached the reason that they were there was because Higuain had scored in previous rounds um, and there's something that has to be said for that I, I can completely understand if you wouldn't be entirely happy with Gonzalo Higuain being the starting striker if Argentina get to the 2018 World Cup final but being really that strongly against him even starting in the qualifiers or even being in the squad in the qualifiers strikes me as a little bit perverse when that is you know you can go oh he shouldn't start in the final because he misses goals in the finals right but he scores lots of goals in the qualifiers so why not have him in the qualifiers then um, and Di Maria is a sort of I guess a similar case I, I don't particularly like him um, in, in terms of uh, as I've said many times he's, not, he's not the most intelligent player in the world in fact he's possibly one of the stupidest um, but he's, he's very good at doing one particular thing and, and if managers realise that where his limitations lie he can be effective um, for the level that Argentina have needed to reach so far I would normally say what I just said about Higuain he, he has a proven record at this level and for the 2014 qualifiers he was superb and yet he's actually been playing a fair bit and frankly hasn't been superb um, until arguably um, Tuesday night so we shall see but optimistic for 2018? Well I'll, I'll throw the floor open Not, to, not today of course because uh, uh, if we of, of course watch the match that uh, Argentina played last night we will say yes they are ready and Argentina is candidate they, call, they score three goals and they scored 19 in, in 18 matches which is poor but uh, uh, yes it's very difficult to say now uh, I think the most of course if you watch the, the qualifiers the natural candidate is, is Brazil because they, they they, they, I think, I don't have right now the, the record, but it's uh, just magnificent the way they have been playing with Tite since Tite is the coach. Yes, it is. Um, Argentina, the only team to beat them so far, and that was, of course, in Sao Paulo's first game in charge in a friendly. Um, in the qualifiers, they've won all but two matches, and those two, of course, are draws. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Brazil against better opposition, because yeah. obviously Argentina were not the only South American country in the Conmebol qualifiers hang on there's an end to that sentence that's not the whole sentence but I was just uh, internally criticising myself because it wasn't going right anyway Argentina are not the only country in the Conmebol qualifiers to have underperformed the whole narrative if we can use a slightly horrible newspeak sort of word um, of these Conmebol qualifiers has been teams failing to get results that they should have got and when we come back after the break, we will just have a quick look at who else has qualified. And I think probably Andres will try not to burst out laughing at the identity of one of the teams who haven't qualified. Um, and uh, at how the team in the playoff might do in their respective playoff. Um, and of course, we'll answer lots of listeners' questions, which for some reason are all about one subject this week. Don't go away. 
as I said just before that break, um, it's been a campaign of disappointing performances for pretty much everybody at some point in the campaign at least. Brazil obviously uh, let... I can't even remember who it was now. Was it Dunga? Yes, at the start yeah. of the campaign it was, wasn't it? Uh, Brazil let Dunga go fairly early on after, in fact, um, the Copa America uh, Centenario in 2016 and replaced him with TT, who at the time when he was appointed sort of looked like being a... Oh, yeah, OK, this is going to be dull but functional football, given how we've been playing with, with Corinthians, but he'll get them winning again. Um, and he's actually sort of, as, as we've made the point several times, I think, during international breaks, has uh, introduced some of the joie de vivre back into the Brazilian football lexicon. Um, I apologise for my French accent, that's appalling, <laughs> but still. Um, and since then, Brazil have really looked like the only team in the qualifiers who've had a very clear idea of what they're doing. At well, he came in at the same time more or less as Bowser, didn't he? He did, exactly, yes. Round, uh, he, he, he came in, I mean, it was about, um, I think, maybe two or three weeks apart, but yeah, in, in terms of, of the point yeah. in the qualifiers yeah. in which they arrived, yes, um, he came in at exactly the same time. And that really <laughs> underlines the point that the rest of the qualifying um, teams didn't have much of a clue what they were doing. So before we get on to the other teams, we should mention, just to clarify as, as a sort of general ref- retrospective on Argentina's qualification campaign, that the AFA are basically to blame for why Argentina couldn't get over the hill until the very last day of qualifying, right? I mean, I don't blame Edgardo Balsa for not quite being good enough in the same way as I don't blame Dario Benedetto for maybe being a bit underwhelming so far at centre-forward, and you, you can't really blame... You know, any of the players who aren't quite good enough for just not being there. Bowser, similarly. At, at South American club level, he's clearly a talented manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I continue to tell people, even when they're telling me on Twitter that I'm mistaken and that he's a complete idiot. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have, have got to where he got. But for Argentina, he, he wasn't the right person. And uh, The same with Martino. And I think, to be honest, if, they'd stuck, if Martino but, had never yeah. left, they just had that running through, okay, yeah. after two Copa America's final defeats. I would put my money on Argentina would have qualified way easier than they would have done had Martino been in charge the whole and, time and, and this was the other thing because uh, the logical extension of well okay so Bowser just wasn't quite good enough was well you know the, who else could the AFA have got but the point is the AFA didn't have to to let Martino go as it were in spite of the fact that Martino quit that was basically the AFA's decision yeah. because they had driven him to that point by not giving him any support, by fannying him about with terms of wages and players who were going to be released for the Olympics and lots and lots of other shit in the couple of years before that. Yeah, they just told them, yeah, well, quit so that we don't have to pay you the indemnation. Yeah, exactly. And then when he refused, they forced him out by just making things too awkward for him. Um, but, it's a, but it goes to show the instability... In this, of course, was the old AFA board as well. This was the, the exactly. interim AFA, but let's not kid ourselves that the new ones are going to be any better. No, but exactly. But in one World Cup process, which, which has been what, like less, it's less than two years? It's um, been two years, two basically. Years, basically. Yeah, pretty much but, exactly. Um, they've been through three coaches, two different AFA presidents with a FIFA board running things in the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, how many different stadiums have we used for home well, matches? So Five, Argentina six? played at the Monumental, they played in Mendoza, they played in San Juan, San Juan against Colombia, they Cordoba. played in the Bombonera. Did they play in Cordoba? They must have played at least one in I think Cordoba. They did. Yes, they played Paraguay in Cordoba, didn't they? 
So that's five. Okay, yeah. so, so five or six different stadiums in Argentina during one round of qualification, which, okay, maybe you can say, oh, yeah, but it really spread <laughs> spread the joy around. But, I mean, in reality, I think it was more just when times were hard, it was like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. The atmosphere's not very good at the moment. Tell them, let's just get out of here. Um, you know, and not that doesn't it then include the fact that we're under three managers. How many different players have been called up into squads? I mean, forty. I think it was forty-two in total. I think that's used. been used. And then, but they've used. So yeah. yes, you're quite right. How many? So I think it's. I, I think I read yeah. it was like sixty something in terms mm. of called up into squads, which is a large amount for one qualification process. Mm. You know, not Diego Maradona numbers perhaps, but. <laughs> um, but still, a lot, and you know, in, in some ways, when you when you reflect on it like that, it's astonishing that Argentina managed to get to the World Cup at all. Indeed, it is. Um, there are other teams making it to the World Cup along with Argentina, of course. Brazil topped the group, as we mentioned last month. Brazil topped the group because they did it with three games to spare. They eventually finished on forty-one points, meaning that Argentina's all-time South American qualifying record. It's not a particularly long all-time. It's two decades, in fact, isn't it? Because it was the, the first time they all played against everybody else home and away was for 1998. Um, the Argentine record uh, made set, set under Marcelo Bielsa of 40... Is it 43 points? Yeah. Or 42, 43 points, yeah. Um, stands... Um, that was thanks to Brazil only drawing with Colombia in the penultimate round of matches. Uh, Uruguay finished in second place with 31 points thanks to a 4-2 win over Bolivia on the last day both of Bolivia's goals coming from own goals which was pretty funny and Luis Suarez scoring twice um, combined with Lionel Messi's hat-trick for Argentina that means that Messi and Suarez are now the joint all-time top scorers in South American World Cup qualifying and that is all-time that's not just um, since 1998 or whatever um Messi was briefly ahead, but Suarez scored his second of the night to to draw level again. Obviously, Messi had overtaken Suarez in the course of the game because Messi scored three and Suarez scored two, which meant that Messi started with fewer. Argentina only three points behind Uruguay. <laughs> well, that's more incredible. Yeah. Well, it is, but again, it, it underlines that even Uruguay didn't look particularly good. That they had a, a period, their last qualifier of last year and then the first two of this year, they they lost all three of those and started to wobble a bit. Um, no, but they, they, they finished fairly decently yeah, but there was not. that period bef- before that you know what was it maybe four four decent five six the last yeah. the last couple of breaks they've been they've got results but before that people were beginning to question uh, whether you know this was the end of the road for the, the current Tavares in particular and, and a lot of the older players older, yeah. um, and it's only they've managed to turn it around with some good results and Garrett and and all but guarantee, already really guarantee their qualification before last night's win. Um, but yeah, they haven't, they didn't have very good qualification really. No. But they they were pragmatic, providing the awful uh, form of the other perhaps nations of the mm-hmm. other teams, and they looked that they were good with, with with what they were doing, and they didn't need anything else or anything more, or just like an heroic victory like Argentina yesterday. They were they were like. Aris and and doing what just what was necessary and and they they discovered that with that it was enough. Yes, indeed. Colombia, um, Argentina were third, as, as I've said. Colombia 
um, finished fourth after spending a fair bit of the campaign again sort of being a bit iffy I would say Colombia of all of the sides who really significantly underperform probably underperform the least or at least the least noticeably I, I'm, I'm trying to remember any particularly dodgy results that they had apart from getting hammered by Argentina twice I think it was 2-0 3-0 um, they lost to Peru didn't they like re- when Peru got their run together near the end did they or around I can't well no they just played Peru last night Incidentally, if anyone hasn't heard about um, the uh, the goal, uh, Peru's equaliser in that game, and I'm going to bring it up now because Peru finished fifth and therefore the qualification spot, and the equalising goal, um, therefore was the one that sent Peru into the the playoff spot. Sorry, and um, and sent Chile, the South American champions, out. Um, Have you heard about this? Paulo Guerrero um, took an indirect free kick fairly late in the game, which he didn't realise was indirect, so he shot, and David Ospina, the Colombian goalkeeper, also didn't realise that the free kick was indirect, so he died full stretch, got a hand on it, couldn't keep it out. If he just stood there and watched it sail past him, Colombia would have won 1-0, and Chile would now be going to the World Cup at playoffs via New Zealand. Um, I'm trying to Google whether that this is Colombia's second or third consecutive World Cup, but I can't because my computer's playing silly buggers with the internet, so... Sorry, I, I have a feeling... Oh, OK, it's not connected. The, the router's off, even though the computer says it's connected. I have a feeling um, that it's Colombia's second World Cup, but if they played it in 2010, I apologise. Yeah, I can't recall. Mm. Although, I, 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 on the game last night, I noticed that um, after that goal, there's, there's, have you seen the footage now as well of uh, Falcao talking to the... Yes, yeah, players on yeah. the pitch and saying look <laughs> this result suits both of us Just don't try anything now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they played out a South American Anschluss um, we can't really as, as Argentine um, pundits we, we don't really we're not in a position to what fixed to, to complain too much about this because uh, Argentina and Uruguay did this to Colombia um, a few years ago and it is Colombia's second in a row. I've managed to get back online now, and they were not at 2010. It was Argentina, Brazil, Chile. Well, Paraguay, it, it was Uruguay that year. healthy that Brazil won 3 0, and well, because there was a campaign in the social networks that Brazil, from of yeah, course, supporters yes. not bother trying in yeah. order to, to screw Argentina over. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the other thing interesting about as well mm. of Chile missing out is the whole um, being awarded points. Precisely, yes. Oh. So, uh, long-term listeners who can remember last year will remember um, the scandal that I am choosing to call Bolivia fielding an ineligible player gate, um, <laughs> in which Bolivia fielded an ineligible player who didn't have any res- uh, real uh, effect on the results. He played for the last few minutes of both of Bolivia's games in the double header against Peru and Chile. Uh, he, he played the last few minutes of both of those games. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, I mean, you with a B, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so he'd been in Bolivia for he, he's Paraguayan. He'd been in Bolivia for long enough to get Bolivian citizenship. But FIFA's regulations require you to have lived in the country for five years before you can play for the country. He'd only been living there for three. Um, and the result of this, obviously, was that um, the two games both got their original results overturned and awarded as three nil wins to Bolivia's opponents. Chile had got a draw against Bolivia. Peru had lost away in La Paz against Bolivia. And that meant that Peru gained three points from that decision and Chile only gained two. And that was what ended up sending Chile out as well. 
as well as the fact that Peru then qualified with a direct free kick, which wasn't a direct free kick. Nelson Cabrera, I think, is the player. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cabrera, thank you. Yes, well done. It's funny that in the space of a few weeks, uh, Chile were obviously celebrating the the ruling of the, the eventual ruling of the court of yes. arbitration. So, yeah, we've got the points, and ultimately that proves to be that they're undoing mm. some some justice there. Because frankly, I didn't really see the need to award a three 0 wins. Yeah, I mean it's a tricky one because the rule book says if an ineligible player is played, then the game gets awarded as a walkover. Yeah, that's the rule book. On this occasion, it had the unintended consequence of also, and let's go a priori, so not just looking at the final standings, but when the ruling was taken into, um, when the ruling took place, it was punishing Argentina and Paraguay and Ecuador, yeah, yeah. all three of them, because Chile and, and Peru leaped above them, um, to a greater extent, really, than it was punishing Bolivia, because Bolivia were never going to qualify for the yeah, World much Cup. Wrong, yeah, and all of Argentina, Chile, um, sorry, all of Argentina, Paraguay, and Ecuador were in the. Um, in the running to do so um, and so yeah it, it's sort of I mean, it, genuinely there, there is no love lost between Argentina and Chile as many listeners will be aware if you are Chilean or based in Chile and you're listening to this honestly I feel really sorry for you and it's kind of a shame that, that Chile aren't going to be in the World Cup um, the the Argentine fans and I'm, I'm sure Andres maybe don't quite feel that way um, but it is sort of a pity that that the continental champions won't be there, although they're certainly not alone. No, exactly. Um, I don't feel uh, upset or, <laughs> but not happy anyway. Good. No, <laughs> they have been boasting about winning two World, two Copas America, two uh, against us, of course. The first two cop, Copas they win, uh, one Copa America. Well, centenarios, centenary uh, tournament. There was an extra. Yes, okay. so I'm continuing to be pedantic about that because <laughs> I find it ridiculous that they didn't say uh, that, that Commonwealth didn't say anything about it before. They well deserved. They won. They won it in, in a good way. It's not something mm. that eh, no, they are uh, they are dirt, they play dirty or something like that. Uh, but they win. They won two co uh, two trophies, one Copa America and one Copa America Centenario, to be uh, precise. Uh, and they, of course, they uh, boasted about it and they. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, uh, I think also it's something strange. Oh, the the one who won the last Copa Cop America, the the continental champions, and they aren't there. Uh, it sounds strange. But this year it's kind of normal because as a, a lot of our listeners, around a third of our listeners, in um, if the uh, location stats on SoundCloud or anything to go by, will be more than aware and quite sad about the reigning North American champions aren't going to be at the World Cup either. The reigning champions of Africa, Cameroon, are not going to be there. And the reigning champions of Asia and of Oceania are only in the playoffs. I can't remember who the Asians are, but they're in, it's one of the ones who are in the playoffs, and obviously Oceania um, but the, and I, New Zealand. Uh, who are, who Australia played is, has played the, the Asian. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Australia uh, 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 nothing to do with Oceania anymore. I mean, geographically, obviously, they are, but in football terms, um, they're not. Um, but but uh, who are the Asian champions? I, I should give them a name now. Is it Japan? No, because they're at the World Cup, so it can't be them. But talking about football, Chile is the, I think, of the reigning champions, is, I think, is, was the strongest of all of the continental. Of, it's stronger than Cameroon, stronger I, yes, than the United States. But compared with the rest of their, co- of, of, of their own confederation, I mean, the United yes. States, I think, is probably the, the biggest. 
given that the entire and, and I, I want to apologise to American listeners for saying this because I'm sure they're all more than aware of it given that the entire CONCACAF quali- uh, qualifying system is basically rigged so the United States and Mexico always get through that's about as big a shock I think as, as when River were relegated here in 2011 um, you know you have a system that's, that's set up for you to succeed and then you don't manage to um, I'm still trying to Google the Asian champions but my internet isn't playing ball again. I apologise to you if you're from that country. Uh, I do. I, I just know that you're in the playoffs. Um, yes. You were, you were, anyway, basically, yes, Peru. There's a very, very good chance that Portugal will be the only reigning continental champions at the World Cup next year, which strikes me as, I'm assuming, a statistical anomaly that probably hasn't happened before, at least in the era of every continent continent having a championship, um, which I think is since the early nineties. Um, and if you know of one if you know of a World Cup where no continental champions have been present in that time please tell me I'd, I'd be very interested to hear about it or indeed any World Cup ever where no continental champions have been present because obviously the first ones the Copa America very much already existed although it wasn't called that at the time um, moving on to listeners questions now otherwise this is going to be an extremely long podcast Lawrence Hart says I saw my first Copa Argentina game on Saturday and was impressed by the size of the crowd. Was that because it was River? That's right. Not all domestic football um, stopped in Argentina in spite of World Cup qualifiers and indeed in spite of River having two players in the Argentina squad who therefore couldn't play for them. Um, River still had to play their round of 16, was it? Mm -hmm. Copa Argentina game against Defensa Justicia. They won 3-0 in spite of having two of their best players called up for international duty. And the answer to your question, Lawrence, is yes. But I didn't see the game, but that's definitely the reason. Um, although we are now getting to the point in the Copa Argentina where I think even if it's two smaller clubs, they're both going to send reasonable amounts of players. Um, Deportivo Moron put out... Who? San Lorenzo. They put out San Lorenzo and... But who did they put out last week? Because San Lorenzo, they, they put yeah, out the previous they were, Yeah. Yes, it was Union. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, last week... River will play Atlanta. Atlanta, thank you. I knew it was another. Oh, one next Wednesday. Oh, next week. Yeah. Oh, next Wednesday. Okay, so we'll be possibly commentating over that while we record next week, um, and you'll get to see another bumper crowd. Lawrence, uh, Jared Hughes asks, "What is your opinion on the US failing to qualify for the World Cup? And do you have an opinion on Concacaf and Conmebol ever combining into a single federation, confederation?" Um, I've sort of just given my, actually, without having looked at the question, but I, I gave my opinion on, on the state's failing to qualify. I think it's amazing. Um, not in a positive way, but uh, in a sort of surprising way. Um, and, yeah, sorry for US soccer fans, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's a massive blow for it. Like I guess uh, combining with two, with two or three groups, groups perhaps. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that Fox Sports now, you know, up there, having spent all of the money apparently on on US rights for the World Cup, don't have the US team to show for it. But obviously, it's a great shame for all the actual US fans um, who are there. So try and enjoy the Schadenfreude for Fox rather than <laughs> rather than worrying but too much. I thought about they had they spent a lot feelings. of all of their money in the Super League Argentina. Yeah, sure, but that's a different yeah. division of the company. I'm, I'm guessing actually. Yeah, no, they, they might very well be the same or one thing, might they, in, in the Americas. Um, no one actually shows the Super League in America, do they? No, that's very true. <laughs> that's what I've heard, anyway. Yes. No, because it's, it's just the domestic rights, so it's still, you say, international. 
up there for the moment. I think it's ah, right, 2019. Because yeah. ah, right. it was the only the domestic rights that got sold down. Yeah. Leo Russomano asks, what are Matias Kranevita's chances of making the 2018 squad? There is a second part to this question, but I think we can answer that first part. First of all, um, slim, I'm going to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he also says, has his move to Europe and therefore relative obscurity in the eyes of Argentines hurt him? I'm going to say no to that one because of all of the people in Europe um, who have seen the most of Matthias Kranevita since he moved to Europe. Jorge Sampaoli is probably the one who saw most of him because he spent the first season of, his, of that time on loan at Sevilla um, when Sampaoli was the manager. So I'm going to assume that Sampaoli just doesn't rate him that much. Yeah, he didn't play a great deal under Sampaoli. He's obviously moved to Zenit now. Yeah. Um, is that another loan or is that a transfer? No, that's a that's permanent a deal. Which I think is will at least see him playing. And from what I've seen, albeit not watching full matches, um, has been looking more like the Kranovita that we saw at River. Mm. Um, but I just think there's a lot of competition now in those deep but, midfield positions. I'd be amazed yeah. if he forces his way back in. And, and another one of them isn't really, as we've said several times now, that's not the position that Argentina needs to find more options in, in a funny way. He has been asked by a manager or a coach that I think is important for football, which is, who is Roberto Mancini, mm -hmm. the one who was the uh, became champions with uh, Manchester City and with yeah. Aguero was there. And uh, uh, he's at Argentinit, as I will call them, because it's a lot of Argentinian there at Senate. Yes, but I don't think he, he will be called up sooner, soon, as he perhaps had the opportunity now, but, and San Paoli oh, eh, chose Enzo Perez. Yeah. Even with no the same the same way of playing, but eh, with Gago injury, he had the opportunity and he, he chose Enzo Perez. Yeah, and the other thing is that you know, Leo mentions the, the sort of relative obscurity from the Argentine point of view, and, and a manager, especially if you're choosing a player who's likely to be a sort of rotation option, it's always a little bit safer to go for the guy playing in Argentina because if you go for another guy who, who people in Argentina haven't really seen for the last year or two and then it doesn't come off, they're always going to be going, oh, Pablo Perez should have been in the squad or Enzo Perez should have been in the squad yeah. or uh, you know whoever else. Whereas at least if you've actually picked Pablo Perez and Enzo Perez, then you can go, well, they were there and we're still lost. So do you want me to not pick Europeans? Do you want me to one point not pick Argentines or whatever? Uh, Darren Paul says should more Argentine based players get call ups look at that it's almost as if I'd read that question before coming to it wasn't it um, he says that prime Gustavo Bull would have been a great call up <laughs> of course he, he deserved a call up in my totally unbiased opinion um, should more Argentine players get call ups I think the balance is, is I think about right, fair, yeah. pretty fair at how, how many people realistically from the Super League who aren't in the squad can you say I cannot believe he's not there I mean, you mentioned Tagliafico earlier. Maybe he wasn't named. You could say you could make an argument for him, and, and that's as much as anything an illustration of the fact that Argentina don't have very could many be... strong fullbacks. Exactly, with, with and... no intention whatsoever to insult Nicolas Tagliafico. No, no, exactly. No, but that's the point. I think is that in the fullback position is where you might say like people like Jose Luis Gomez, Bustos on the other side, Tagliafico at left back. But that's what, going back to the first part of Darren's point with Gustavo Ball. Mm. There was a point when you probably could argue he was the best forward in the Primera in the season resting on the yeah. title but given the competition I don't think there's that many people who are saying oh 
there's Argentina's. No. And, and the other thing is, I mean, if we'd been asked this question maybe six months ago, then we would probably have said, well, um, Benedetto, Alario and Driussi all arguably deserve call-ups. But now Benedetto has had call-ups. And I'm not saying by any means that he should be excluded from the squad. He, as we've said, he's, he's looked a little bit over, underwhelming so far, but that doesn't mean that I think he should never get called up again. And Riussi and Alario are no longer in Argentina. Uh, this is something that I sort of... <laughs> I, I saw a friend of a friend making this point on, in a Facebook conversation on Thursday night, saying that this constant clamour for naming European, in inverted commas, players, so Argentines who play in Europe, it really annoys him because... Six months ago, a lot of the Europeans were the ones from here. And I, sort of, I, I managed to resist the temptation to reply by saying, yeah, but not the ones who are in the squad. The ones who are in the squad have been in Europe for at least a year or two. And the ones who were from here and are now in Europe, like Driussi and Alario, are now in Europe because they had fantastic seasons here and have proven themselves, frankly, too good for the Argentine league. Yeah, the, um, I mean, the only two I think that fall into that category would be Acuna and... Um... Regani, re- fairly recently. Yes, so precisely, yeah. And who are actually but, in the squad now, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. I look at the, uh, the Superliga, and obviously we all watch the Superliga a lot. We va- we rate a lot of the players there, but I, I don't see that many players who realistically, I yeah. say, oh, come on. Realistic right. the yes, right. not at that point to say, oh, it's impossible for him not to be yeah. there. It's, for example, Marconi, who has been there, uh, or Roman Martinez, both from Lanús, but I think that there are uh, op- uh, another options that, uh, for example, the one I mentioned, Paredes, who was on the bench and w- uh, played 10 minutes, 15, something like that. So there are options. I, th- I don't think that there, there are players that are have to be there, uh, yes or yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I think the good form in the Argentine league is a good enough reason to get called up. Um, Oh, oh, sorry, Re- it, yeah, really, really strong form in the Argentine league is a good enough reason to get called up for the national team. It, it's not like we're talking about some incredibly weak league with all of its best players in Europe, and you're thinking, no, but I mean, you know, you can't justify no. possibly calling up a domestic player. Um, but I, I, as I say, I think that the balance is probably about right. But I moment. think also not just. I think also not just good form. Because I think it needs to for the for you to be called up from this league <clears throat> needs to be good form and sustained over a well sustained good form. And also in a position where yeah. you can realistically say there's not that many people in Europe who do the same role, which is why yeah, I think exactly. you were mentioning Enzo Perez, there's not many box-to-box. Or Nacho Fernandez, if he hadn't been injured, would be another option mm. as someone who does that kind of multi-function yeah, role. Absolutely. Um, but forwards is the one area where you say, come on, there's play. if Higuain doesn't, have a ch- doesn't get in the squad, then can you really sit there and say... But would you send Ezequiel Barco if he has a fantastic next six months? No, because I mean... I mean, he's 18. At the age of 12. <laughs> I mean, no. If, if not they're really. good enough, they're old enough, Peter. Yeah, but I mean, he's dipped in form independiente. So, I mean, I think, well, I mean, that's another discussion for independiente. But, it is. Uh, it, it'll be a discussion for, you know, maybe when um, when we go back to dealing properly with domestic football. But while we've got you here, actually, I wanted to, to ask you about Barco because it seems to me that he's playing more, he's playing more for independiente at just the same time as his form's dipped. And I suspect that's not entirely coincidental and, and that in the long term it's going to result in him you know, continuing to improve over the long arc of history, as it were, even though right now it means that he's not doing quite so well. But what do you... No, no, I think exactly that. I think I made, the point, I made that point on Twitter to someone that 
I don't think actually in the long run him having a dip in form is, is bad news for him because mm. I think it got to the point towards the end of last season um, when he Independiente looked so dependent on him that there was this expectancy of, and, and it flowed into how he played as well as a result because every time he got the ball it was kind of like okay go on do something yeah. and so he played like that every time he got the ball rather than sometimes just playing a simple pass was looking to beat two, three players and he's an outstanding talent but even an outstanding talent needs to know when to beat a player mm. when to just play the ball to the overlapping fullback when to even just play it backwards and make a, make a run into space elsewhere and that was where you know his decision making was what was letting him down at times and I think that that dip is what we've been seeing so I think it's good that I think Olan obviously rates him a lot sees him as a fundamental part of the team but yeah. is no longer saying hey everyone pass to bar go and just let sure. him try and win us Andres wants to say something about something that's happened on the television while Peter was talking yes because they're they're showing all of the goals from Argentina to get the ticket to the World Cup and I have watched a, a goal from a player that uh, we are not mentioning anymore because he hasn't been called and called up anymore Lucas Prato, who could be in the squad, but because of the particular taste, or or or, or well, uh, uh, perhaps doesn't like San Paoli, but he could be also there. And perhaps you didn't uh, include him in the poll because he's not being called up right now, and because he was a player mostly that Bausa called up. But he he scored uh, decent goals against uh, Colombia and against Venezuela. But of course, it's not that. He has to be there. It's not something like that, but uh, there are places like that that you perhaps forget because they aren't called anymore. And, and when they went there, they, they did it right. He's someone who I actually thought, thinking about last night, yeah, I could imagine him doing a decent job at altitude because he works very hard. And yeah. I could imagine him, you know, he, put, he gets himself, he holds the ball up and puts himself around, occupies defenders, and is the sort of guy that I could imagine... Um, in Quito, you could say, right, go on, we just want you to get up there, work work your socks off and, and kind of hold the ball up. Um, yeah, I think, like you're saying, he did, he did a decent job when he was called upon. Agreed. Um, I finally, because my internet's back up, managed to find the identity of the reigning Asian football champions and is Australia. Mm. Uh, I apologise to our Australian <laughs> listeners for thinking it wasn't, um, but obviously they're in the playoffs. I'm not sure who against. Panama, is it? Or did they go yeah. straight? No, Panama are there, so it's Honduras. Honduras um, so they may or may not make it. So as I said, it is possible that Portugal will be the only reigning champions. But I think that playoff is probably going to be a bit less one-sided than Peru New Zealand might turn out to be. I'm whispering that, um, but I suspect. Uh, anyway, back to the questions. Tariq Al Haidar says, "Has Eber Banega proven that he shouldn't be part of this team going forward?" Um, I'm not sure about that. No. I, I, I think he's not done himself any favours in terms of maintaining his spot, but I don't think that he's going to be excluded. Definitely um, not. I think Sambali likes him, so he's he's not going to be ruled out. In fact, I, again, he's another one who I think I'd be quite surprised mm-hmm. if he wasn't in the squad. In fact, I would say that Delia perhaps he hasn't done even less things to be in the team, but mm-hmm. he's there because uh, he has something that we all, we none of us uh, sees and, and discovers that Sampoli, Bausa, and all of them, Bartino. Uh, I think he does the 
the, the sort of unflashy things right yeah. big meal um, and if you uh, if you have to have a defensive midfielder then I would have him the problem is obviously that so far we've been well Argentina have been playing with two yes. um, more often than not or at least yeah. two deep line ones and so having both of them in the team um, is maybe more questionable and that actually feeds into Tariq's next question which is how should Sam Pauli try to fit Messi and Dybala into the same team and again I think for this double header after he tried to do precisely that a month ago and it didn't really work and then Dybala said it's really difficult for me to play with Messi because we make similar runs we, we try to play a similar way um, I think that the, the best answer to that is that he shouldn't do I think that Dybala should be seen as a replacement for Messi it, it's you know you have to feel therefore that Dybala is very unlucky if you're not getting into starting 11 because you happen to play the same role as Lionel Messi but it's not working together so you're not going to pick Dybala ahead of Messi um, that, that that's something that I think somebody will have to work on. Yeah, that's sure. well, it, it, it's an idea that's worth exploring. It, it's worth seeing whether they can play together. But if you then come to the conclusion that they can't, and you know there are only four friendlies to go, as I say, before the, the squad has to be named, um, then I can't see why you would try to persist with it for too long. Um, if if that doesn't look like being the way, whereas Dybala at the same time, if Messi gets. God forbid, if Messi gets injured or suspended for a big game, then Dybala would on the surface be an excellent replacement. He's not going to do it to the same level as Messi does, but he's still going to be the kind of player who would strike fear into opposing defences. Yeah. I think going back to the earlier question about people in the squad, he's another one who, who I think will 100% barring injuries be in the World Cup squad. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the big one I think going forward is I think Sampaoli was pretty justified in this double header not to try and force them into the same team again given how it didn't work and given how it wasn't a time to try it when results were all that mattered yeah. um, but he's now got you know not that many games to try and find a way to get them both to work or as you say just have Dybala as the guy who's going to step in maybe late on in games if he needs to change something or replace Messi yeah uh, and then Tariq adds no one's totally convinced at right wing back for Argentina I would like to see more of Rigoni but could Roberto Pereira play that position I'm going to hold my hands up and say I don't know I've we don't know anything him. about him since he has moved to Watford mm. even I, I, I looked information about him because I didn't even know that he was playing there and he moved from Juventus to, to Watford mm. last year and we don't know anything about him he got injured last year and missed a lot of the last yes, season so, so. apart from that yes he, um, he scored in his, in his debut for what for last last year, but it's not something that oh yes Roberto Pereira. I think a he's not playing. I don't think he's playing absolutely regularly for Watford at the moment, and b he's not playing as a right. I don't even think he's playing as a right midfielder, let alone a right wing back. So would be a stretch for him to suddenly emerge as the answer to that position as yeah. rightly pointed out it is something of a problematic position I think far more likely yeah maybe Rigoni Sampaoli seems to like Rigoni but again going back that's one of those situations where you're putting faith in a winger come mm. forward as a to do defensive duties um, or Jose Luis Gomez who was in Sampaoli's first squad um, yeah or Bustos, depending on how he comes along this season. Uh, Darren, who submitted a question by email last 
week is submitting one by Twitter this time. He says, where's Dan when you need him? Given River Plate's... Darren, I should clarify, is an Atlanta fan. Uh, given River Plate's dire record in the last five years against Atlanta, which has played one and lost one, uh, what are your predictions for the Copa Argentina next week? I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say I think River will go through to the semi-final. But they, they played two, not one. They lost one and, lo- and won the other one, seven, seven one. There we go then, Darren. So not so dire. Uh, they, they, I think they lost one nil at the. They played at Belles when Atlanta was there. Yes, you're right. Well, they did, didn't they? Yeah, and they won. They won from even seven, I, one or seven two. No, uh, seven nil. No, seven one, wasn't it? That yes. did score. Yeah. Seven two on aggregate. Then. Yeah, I think River will get through. Yeah, I mean, yes. like we were saying before, I think River's side of the draw has been so full of upsets. Yeah, that it's difficult to see River not being in the final of the Copa Argentina this year. Yeah, I mean the flip side of that is always well they're playing this you know side a couple of divisions below them, but that is a side who have already put out San Lorenzo or whoever it might yeah. be. Uh, but yeah, I mean River have, have got to be fairly hot favourites, I think, for the trophy um, this year to be honest. Yeah. But certainly to reach the final in their half of the draw. Peter Paleologos asks, which Superliga team recently is developing younger, talented players and giving senior team opportunities to those younger players? We just talked about Barco, yes. Independiente. Yeah, I think uh, um, they're a pretty good example with Bustos, right yeah. back, Barco, yeah. Alan Franco. Vargas from Vélez, I mentioned him because I like how, the way he plays. So. And Romero. But in terms of um, a club, I mean, Vélez several do. coming through. Vélez always have people coming through. Riber uh, have got some good youngsters um, at present and also Banfield who have got I, I think Banfield has gone sort of slightly unnoticed because of the fact they've got like four players who are arguably their most four their four most important players who are about 52 or 53 years old um, but pretty much everybody else in their team is like 26 or younger um, yeah, and, they just and they have a number who are around 20 years old just sold two of them with uh, yes. yeah, yeah. Cicchini and uh, Rodriguez yeah. both going to well, no one went to Italy, one to Spain, but yeah, they're churning out good young players. But yeah, basically any any Banfield player who's not Renato Sibeli, um, Walter Eviti, Dario Svitanic, or Eviti's no, gone anyway. Eviti's gone. Sorry, yes. So who am I thinking of? Svitanic, Sibeli, and then there are two others. Bertolo. Bertolo and and, and Jesus, the other one. Uh, Bertolo. Bertolo, thank you. Yeah. Yes, um, those four are basically the only four Banfield players who are above the age of about twenty six. Um, yeah. And as I say, it, it's easy to forget because those four are quite a long way above the age of 26. Um, but the others, uh, there are several players of Banfield squad who are around 20-ish. So I would say River and Banfield on, on a sort of institutional level at the moment are probably the first two to spring to mind. Uh, yeah, it's have to put Racing as well in when you... True. I mean, obviously, yeah. Matt, um, yes. Martinez has missed the start of the season through injury, but it's probably one of the best youngsters in Argentina Lautaro Martinez yeah, yeah. Um, but then they've also you know uh, Quadra Saraccio uh, mm. well, they're two I can think on the top of my head but uh, to be honest I mean the, for all the faults of the Argentinian top flight I think the more established clubs have got a fair number of good young players actively in the first team in yeah. and around the first team exactly uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Dramatic night in the last round of matches. Messi gets Argentina out of jail. Given the quality they possess, why have they struggled? That is a question that I would hope we have already a- answered in the last... Getting on for an hour and a half that we've been recording, uh, given that that's one of the issues that we've tackled. But in very, very, very short order, 
I think that the answers are um, chopping and changing the managers, poor leadership from the board, and a lack of stability, essentially. Um, Luis Bessoni says, tired and still hungover from last night. But does the Hand of Pod panel agree with me and consider that Messi's performance has been his best slash most clutch for the Albi Celeste? Because of the moment, Possibly. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the, the, the way that he was requ- required to appear and the way he appeared, yes, it was. Yeah. I also think... Maybe the World Cup quarter-final against Switzerland when he set Di Maria, Maria's yes. goal up and sort of, again, carried the team, albeit not a goal-scoring one, but... It, it's right up there. The only thing I, I, I think that may put this above everything else is that it has all of the f- same footballing elements as the World Cup when he when he did carry Argentina through several games. But I think if he hadn't done that last night and Argentina didn't get the win and had not qualified for the World Cup, I think it would have been the end of the road for quite a lot of this generation. I wouldn't be surprised if Messi was one of them who said, all right, look, three World Cup, three uh, final Losses and now we haven't qualified for the World Cup. Now I actually am retiring. Mascherano are the same. Yeah. Um, and I think it. We don't know that for sure. Could have been the case. And I think the fact that he did that changes everything. Tom Robinson has an intriguing question. Could Augusto Fernandez return from injury being be key in finding that midfielder to link defence and attack? We've been talking about Lanzini and Lamela, but yeah, Fernandez could be an option as well. He'd been unlucky because I think he was kind of in that position, wasn't he? Hmm. Uh, when was it? The World Cup in 2014 or after that? But he was in the he was in the team at oh. that point. Got injured seriously and has basically been injured ever since. Um, so we'll, we have to see whether it's a real return from injury first or whether it's going to be a Fernando Gago style. Although Gago, in fairness, gets into the team and then onto the pitch before getting injured. Yeah. Uh, no, he, but I, he did his cruciates for the benefit of those who aren't aware on Thursday night against Peru about five minutes after being <laughs> yeah. sent on as a substitute. No, but certainly in terms of um, characteristics of what Augusto um, brings, then yeah, he's he's another one that does have something a little bit different to, to many that are offered. Hmm. Um, and Tom also asks, is Sam Pauli's use of wing-backs a viable tactic going for given the lack of options there should Sampaoli be more pragmatic oh, as of. I said earlier I, th- I think he's a pragmatic manager I think he wants to sort of try and find a, si- a, a, a system that works and that he's going to take maybe another game before deciding right yeah maybe it is best to play with a back four instead um, or maybe he'll find a way of making the back three work even though there's not enough pace but we'll see yes. That's last, last night saying. again was an exception for me because the altitude yeah. meant that he had to just say right broken team some of you sit back some of you go forward so last night wasn't an, an um, uh, wasn't an opportunity to see any development of the system as it were so what we're going to see more of now is I think in the friendlies we're going to get a much better idea of how he wants them to play Bielsa said that he's much more uh, pragmatic. Obviously. Yes, he said that was the big advantage that Sam yeah, had over he's him. He's better than me because he can actually change. Into his style, yeah, yeah and, I, and I think that's what's going to be interesting now before Russia is how now that results, until Russia results aren't an issue, it's just going to be about finding your team. That's what's going to be interesting. And last but certainly not least, Sivan John tweets in um, with the question that we've been tiptoeing around so far. Now that Argentina have qualified for Russia 2018, what are their chances of winning it? Well, I, 
I think as we've sort of hinted, whether on or off air, um, Argent- you'd hope at least Argentina at the World Cup is going to be a very, very different proposition to the Argentina that we've seen under Sampaoli in four qualifiers when he's just had to come come straight in and basically get the required points to get them into the World Cup. So The, the history of the World Cup post probably about post-1970, is of teams struggling to make it through qualifying and then coming together once they reach the World Cup and indeed of teams absolutely sailing through qualifying. Admittedly, this is more often European teams who do the latter because of the way the European qualifiers are set up. Sailing through qualifying without breaking sweat and then really struggling when they actually get there. So qualifying is, is not an indicator of how well a team might actually yeah. do at and the you, World Cup. And, and squad unity is one thing that Argentina certainly yeah. don't have a problem with. Yeah, and you... You could not rule out Argentina doing something at the World Cup, given what they have available. Mm. Um, are they the favourites? No. Definitely not. Um, you know, you're still going to put the likes of Germany and Spain above them. But you know, we'll see what Sam Bali does in the in the games that he does have before the World Cup. What the squad looks like and 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 what the mood is going into Russia. Yes, I I think that after those uh, bad results, which were the finals lost and and the psychological, uh, uh, that is something that means, well, that they they can be blocked psychologically and uh, after this they can say, well, we made it after a high-pressure match which was uh, against Ecuador in which we could have been out of the World Cup and we made it, we did it. Now, uh, it's something new, and we have to go forward. Well, uh, uh, when Ecuador scored the, the, the their goal after 40 seconds, it was something like that. Mm. Uh, well, what will, what will uh, can we do now? Perhaps it's the, the the first question that comes to the mind of the players, and they well, Messi, especially Messi, uh, made it. So uh, well, now it's. I think has to do more with the psychological component than than football, uh, and they will have to they will have time to to think about the team and and but the psychological aspect I think is is key. Absolutely, we're now going to go to some mystical theme music, and I'm going to give my predictions for the weekend to come, along with Mystic Gav, who is the one who's challenging me this week. So don't go away. In the international um, week, Dan has beaten me. I can't remember whether it was 5-2 or 5-3 or 6-3, but he, he won um, 3-1 in the Tuesday round of fixtures. So uh, I'll tell him well done when I next see him, because I know he doesn't do some when he's not on this podcast. But now Gav is taking me on this weekend, and I'm much stronger in the Superliga. Still unbeaten in two challenges so far, so let's see whether, Dan, um, whether Gav can be the first person. Uh, Lanus host Union on Friday night and um, Gav is going for a Lanus victory I'm I think also going for a Lanus victory actually to be honest in that one um, San Lorenzo then host Defensa y Justicia 
we're both going to go for a home win in that one as well. Colon against Tempele on Saturday. Colon win, says Gav. And I'm going to be really boring and also go for a Colon win there. And then, right, Rosario Central against Argentinos Juniors. Gav is going for a Central victory. I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Estudiantes against Banfield. Gav's going for an Estudiantes win. Banfield lost last time out, but I think they're going to get back on track this time. I'm going for a Banfield win. Belle Sarsfield versus Newell's Old Boys. Gav goes for a draw. I'm going to go also for a draw. Racing against Tigre on um, Saturday night. I think that's going to end all square. Gav's going for a Racing win. Chacarita Juniors against Independiente. Uh, Gav's going for an Independiente win, and I'm going for an Independiente win as well. I think that's quite hard to argue with. That's the uh, 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. kickoff. Oh, is it? Ooh. <laughs> oh, no, let's delete that. I'm going for a draw now. No, no. Thank you for reminding us of that one, Peter. I'm unlucky. Um, Godoy Cruz versus Gimnasia La Plata. Gav's going draw. I'm going Godoy Cruz win. Belgrano versus Tacheres. Gav's going draw. I'm going... Oh, that's the Clásico. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to go for a Tacheres win. River to beat Atletico Tucumán. Both of us are agreed on that one in Belgrano. Um, Patronato against Boca Juniors is the last game of Sunday night. Um, and... Oh, that's interesting. Gav's going for a draw in Patronato. I'm going to go for a Boca win. I've been quite confident about that one. <laughs> they have a lot of players in the, with no... Well, in doubt, perhaps. They've lost Gago. They uh, Cardona also, I think. They ah, have Cardona's, well, Cardona's suspended because he got sent yes. off last time. Yeah. Uh, yes, and Colts is in doubt because of a problem. Mm. A I'm still going to go for a Boca win. Okay. I have faith. Well, I didn't come in. Okay, well, in Boca. Um, Olimpo against Huracan. Also on Monday night, Gav is going for an Olimpo win. And I think I'm going to as well. And then Arsenal versus San Martín de San Juan. The last game of the weekend, in quotation marks. Gav says draw. I say Arsenal win. I don't know why I'm saying that. Well, they just went away to Banfield. They did, exactly. And, and so maybe that will be the kick up the arse that they need or, or the boosting confidence in fact and they need it more to the point there we go are we looking forward to the return of the Superliga I, I, I was exhilarated by last night particularly with the results going on elsewhere around well the Americas in particular in, in the qualification it was the feeling you get nearly every Saturday watching the Superliga yes was it <laughs> um, no, I, I, mean, I need to try to recapture this feeling uh, look last night was an exceptional night of entertainment what? given the stakes um, but you know it's our business to hype up the Super League so I'm, I am pleased to see it back <laughs> well, what I was thinking is we all in Argentina there is a, it's something that we say that is that the, the supporters are, are the supporters of their clubs and occasionally uh, of supporters of the national team but this they put their, their their teams first but what would have happened if Argentina were, was out of the World Cup uh, would have been the same for oh I don't care I will go to see my to watch my, my team I don't think so but uh, that, that hasn't happened mm. uh, I think that those players who were at Boca and River and were involved in, for the Argentina squad it would have been interesting to see the receptions that they got I mean I, I think it would probably have been loud cheering rather than booing yeah. Um, but yeah there's, there, there can sometimes be a little bit too much of that maybe with 
with the Argentine fans. They say, oh, no, proper fans don't watch the national team. Like, really? Okay. But just because you don't watch the national team. But anyway, thank you very much for listening for another week. We will be back next week, possibly during, possibly more likely before. I'm assuming it's going to be like 9.30 at night or something. Um, Rivers, uh, Copa Argentina quarterfinal against Atlanta. I was about to say more on. Um, thank you for listening again. And please share us. Tell your friends about us. We apologise for such a long episode, but I'm sure you'll all agree we've had a fair bit to talk about this week. So, for now, it's thanks and goodbye from Andres. Thank you, goodbye. From Peter. Thanks, goodbye. And from me, thanks and goodbye. (laughs) 